welcome to Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk with your host, C.J. Reynolds. Randy is a teacher that I taught with in West Philadelphia. He last year moved to California so his wife could pursue a doctorate uh, in a program out there. And he is one of the best teachers I've ever known. He is also an author of a YA book, and for those of you that don't know what that is, that's a young adult book called An Infinite Number of Parallel Universes, and he's working on a new book, and I thought, hey man, you're slightly famous, want to be on my show? And he said yes. So I'm looking for him now, and he's not in here. Um, let me see, real quick in the audience. Here he is now. All right, I'm going to guess them in now. What's up, man? Hey, it's working. Can you hear me? I can. Can you nice. hear me, Ari? No, I can't hear you. Um, Too bad. Hey, man, thanks for coming on. I'm glad that you did this. It's uh, the first time I've had someone that I like actually know as a friend and former boss, kind of, uh, to come on. So it's uh, it's an interesting situation. So can you yeah. talk for a second? And I already did like a little bit of an intro, but like. Just kind of tell people who you are, where you're living, what you're into, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so as CJ said, my name is Randy, uh, Randy Rebuy. Uh, I taught middle school English for four years. I got my master's degree in education. And then I taught another six years at the high school level with uh, CJ here. Here. Uh, and then after that, we moved to California, and now I work at a private high school in Palo Alto, so quite a change of setting. And I also write on the side, young adult books. Uh, my first book came out in 2015. It's called An Infinite Number of Parallel Universes, about some kids who play Dungeons and Dragons together, going through real-life problems, and then go on a road trip. Um, I have a short story coming up in a adoption-themed anthology. Uh, edited by Eric Smith called Welcome Home. That's coming out this September. And then my next full book comes out in March. It's called After the Shot Drops. It's about two friends who are growing up in the inner city and kind of the impact on their friendship after one of them transfers to a private school to play basketball. That's me. Um, that's, uh, I think I'm in that book, the newer book. Yeah, you die pretty early. All right. Here we, here we go. Stop laughing. Right. This is very serious. We're talking about teaching. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> um, so to start off, I mean, like, I think one of the things we talked about yesterday that was really interesting is this idea of getting kids like into reading, like how to get kids into reading. And so I mean, I've told this story many times, but I didn't read a book of my own volition until I was like, I was 18 or 19 years old. And I had a friend, my friend, John Fien. Uh, thought that was ridiculous. And I was sort of proud of this, right? I was that guy that was like, man, I never read a book in my whole life. And I thought that was so cool. And then my friend, John, who just happened to be the right person at the right time, I remember looking right at me. He's like, dude, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Like who would be pumped about the fact that they never read a book? And so I, that changed everything. Like in that moment, it was, it was done. And he sent me home with a bunch of books. I read all of them. They were all super weird about like weird like, <laughs> projection and like uh, different lives that people have. And I, like, I wasn't into that at all, but he gave it to me. So I read it and then I just could not stop reading. And so I'm wondering, like, maybe, maybe we take it here first. What have you seen in terms of like 
trying to get kids excited about reading like what have you have you done anything that's like has done like where have you seen success in that is what i guess i'm trying to ask yeah um so i guess like the the first thing i usually try to do is kind of like gauge where my students are at the beginning of every year by giving out some kind of like reading survey as to just see like what are some of your favorite books do you like reading like where do you get your books usually um and a lot of times through that you can kind of get a pretty good uh, sense right away of like who your readers are, who your struggling readers are, who your uh, reluctant readers are. Um, you can also get a sense sometimes of like the what the reading life is like at home, right? Uh, if you ask about, well, what books do you have at home? Um, sometimes you might say, well, they don't have any books at home or they have a lot of books of a certain type, right? So you kind of get a sense of where your kids are coming to you uh, as readers. Uh, so that would, I would say that would be like the first step as to what I've seen, it's kind of like run the whole gamut of opinions, right? Because even in uh, like anywhere I've taught, there are kids that read a lot, there are kids that hate reading, there are kids that uh, will read anything that's assigned to them, there are kids that will read anything but what's assigned to them. And so I think, you know, that starting point is figuring out who you've got in the room with you. What about, so for those, I mean, I've not, I plan on doing a video on this actual, on this topic, but uh, several years ago, one of the ways that we got kids, like, we'll try to motivate them into becoming, like, I don't know, more avid readers or, like, uh, ex getting them excited about reading was um, Randy, and so speaking to the audience, but Randy uh, came up with this idea of Independent Reading Day. And so every Wednesday, we have a half day. We have 25-minute periods, and so that was all we did was read a book of the kids choosing and they had to read it every single Wednesday. And then we ended up like expanding that and basing a project around it. And that project has had different iterations over time, but it's largely been a success because you're, you're giving kids the option to, to pretty much order any book that they want. And we were given um, money instead of having a school library, the teachers, the English teachers were given money individually and we get to order anything we want. So that could be anything that I think is cool or anything that, any student wants like a new book is coming out and I know that the kids are going to like it. So I'll order five of them and have them in my classroom. And then we do giveaways and stuff like that too, for kids that have like the best project or read the most during a trimester or during the full year. And so is there, is there a difference or maybe talk about the difference between like the school you're at now in California and West Philadelphia? Like what are the reading patterns that you're seeing a difference mm -hmm. in or the habits? Um, so this is maybe like the attitudes toward reading are kind of pretty similar in terms of like the types of readers that you have in the classroom. Um, what's largely different is the access to books or to reading. Um, when I was working in Philly or before that in Camden, New Jersey, um, you know, a lot of kids didn't have too many books at home. Uh, they didn't have like a whole, like a big history of reading. Um, a lot of them, I remember like my first year teaching, some kid asked me where to buy books, which kind of blew my mind a little bit. Uh, so that access was like a big thing. And so when I was working over there, it was a lot of like, like informing kids just like where they can get books, right? Like make sure they know where their library is. Um, in the beginning of the year, I sent home like a letter for families. And when I worked in Philly and Camden, I used to send home like along with that, uh, like an application for the library's card, right? So that they could just send that in and go get a library card. 
Um, so those resources are there. So just making sure they're aware of that and they have access to it. And then the other part of it, like you mentioned, is making sure that, uh, you know, my classroom was a place filled with books where they could find something good to read, kind of no matter what they like reading. Uh, here in Silicon Valley, the access is not so much a problem. There are many, many beautiful, gigantic libraries filled with books. Uh, a lot of the kids have a lot of books at home. Uh, there is, so there's a lot more on the access end. Um, but what I'm finding is like a lot of them are just like really stressed out and don't really have a lot of time to read for fun because they have, there's a lot of like pressure in schoolwork or they spend so much time doing schoolwork. Uh, that what I try to do here is kind of carve out the space uh, for them to to read what they want to read outside of what I'm assigning them to read. And so you had mentioned the reading that we did, and we had turned that into what we called the independent reading project. Yep. All right. And that's taken like different forms. And I don't know what it's like uh, at the school anymore, but I've kind of continued that where I am here and making okay. that kind of like a the kids are reading two books outside of whatever we read in class together on their own. And they're doing like small projects with that. And the point of it is just to get them out there looking for more books, kind of giving them a chance to read uh, on their own and read what they're interested in without making it like too high stakes or like too much work along with it that it's going to kill the enjoyment. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm even thinking of like <clears throat> access to good books and even in my classroom, like, how books are displayed. And so one of my favorite things I have in my room are these shelves that I've built that I have all of my books displayed. And this year, I'm actually changing a lot of those so that the books all face outward. And because if you go to Barnes and Noble or wherever you buy your books from, most of the books, especially the young adult books are all facing outward. They're, none of them are like side to side unless it's like, um, like almost like back stock. But that idea of like the covers are just so beautiful on many of them that that's what draws the kids in. And I know that's what draws me. I've, I've simply ordered books on Amazon before because I liked the cover of them. Uh, <laughs> we all probably have. Well, when I, so the Jason Reynolds book, when I was the greatest has that really great cover of the Glock and it's like sewed with colorful fabric all around it, the yarn around it. And that caught my eye immediately. And I know that the students that has caught their eye as well. They have no idea what that book is about. Their second question is that guy related to you, Mr. Reynolds, which I just tell them <laughs> my cousin. Um, and that sort of thing, I think draws kids in too, is like, what do your books look like? Do they look all dusty? Are they disheveled on your shelves? Do they look, are the covers all ripped up? Like, what does that stuff look like? Um, which is also why whenever a kid takes a hard, back book, I always take the cover, the paper cover off and I keep that while you have the book so that when I get it back, even if you jack that book up a little bit, I can just, you know, make it look shiny and new by putting that cover back on. And then I don't have to deal with that situation. Um, yeah. Someone, what's that? Good. Yeah. I think another part of that too is kind of the teacher talking up books, right? Like being yeah. familiar with what's out there, being familiar with you know, what's on bestseller list, being familiar with what's winning awards, and also being familiar with what's relevant to your specific community. Um, and then it's kind of keeping, like I talked about the interest survey at the beginning of the year, uh, like keeping that in your mind. And then like, as you go across the world, you know, you might run into something that you think, oh, this kid in particular might like, and you can kind of slip that recommendation to him in particular or her. And that kind of like means a lot to them that you were thinking about that. Uh, about their interest as you were looking at books. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's definitely like that. Just makes them realize that they're seen and that you were you gave some thought as to like, oh wow, you paid attention when I did that. And and whenever I order, if a kid says, last year I had a kid that was like, um, I had two twins, and they both wanted books on animals. They kept telling me Reynolds. I don't read books, but if you get a book on animals, I'm like, well, that's so broad. Like, what do you want? Like life of pie or like the, the essentially like the, uh, you know, do you want the autobiography of free Willie? I have no idea what you want me to get. And so it was through a lot of trial and error, but they started tearing through books when I was ordering the right stuff. And it turns out like marine biology is what turned them on. And uh, I just started buying any book that they wanted on that. And they've read five or six books last year. And we're talking about kids that like probably never read anything before. What is most popular in your class right now? Like what are kids reading a lot of? Hmm. I don't think there's any like one particular series or anything right now. Um, there's a lot of like different pockets of interests. Um, I've had kids read Angela Thomas's uh, The Hate You Give, which is a really great book, kind of like inspired yeah. by Black Lives Matters type stuff. Uh, and that's popular among certain kids. Uh, there are kids that are really into like some fantasy series by like V.E. Schwab has Darker Shade of Magic series right now, which is really good. Uh, and there are kids that are just kind of like into reading what's popular, like what, like in the larger scale of the world. Uh, yeah. I had a kid read like Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, all the light you cannot see. Um, so they're, they're kind of all over the place. I don't think there's like, there's not like a Harry Potter right now or anything that's kind of yeah. sweeping the classroom. Yeah. I So last year I had, after 13 Reasons Why came out, or it was at least announced that it was going to come out on Netflix, kids were just like tearing through that book also, um, which I'm always sort of skeptical. Typically I take, if a movie comes out of something, I take that book off my shelf. So like once Hunger Games came out, that came off the shelf. Or uh, I'm to, there was another trilogy that was similar to that that you said Catherine really liked. Virgin? Yes, yes. So that came off the shelf when, when that movie came out. Um, and then there, it's typically still sports books. Like guys just can't get enough of like, you know, LeBron James's book or mm. – uh, you know, anything that's kind of like in that world where they can, I don't know, not so much the fiction, but like the nonfiction um, story of someone's like ride to greatness. Um, and so that's <laughs> always a big deal. Yeah. Uh, so let me see. What was that other one? You have it on there? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. All right. So a question we're getting from if, if you give a teacher a classroom, I know this person. They have uh, shouted me out on YouTube. They're very popular. You do know a lot of people, yeah. The question says, what tips would you give a kid to help them focus while reading? I have I have a kid in ELA this summer who says that he hated reading. I think that's a really good question. Um, what, what do you do? If you, is that like a – I mean, I know you've struggled with that in the past because we've taught in the same school. But, like, what, what's your go-to for that? Um. It kind of depends on the individual kid and their interests, but I mean, one would just be making sure that you're matching book recommendations to that kid with what they're interested in, um, which is kind of an obvious one. Uh, beyond that, I think like graphic novels are a really good way to catch reluctant readers and snag them into reading. Uh, there's really great graphic novels coming out these days. And also I would, uh, I would also be an advocate for audiobooks. 
Um, some kids are really into listening, and that's, you know, uh, I think some people regard that as kind of like cheating, but I don't. I think it's, you know, there's research out there that shows you're using the same processes as when you're reading. Um, and so I think that's also a really good way to, uh, to get those reluctant readers in or kids who maybe just get bored or whatever, because you can listen to that while you're on the bus, while you're doing chores or whatever. Yeah. I, so last year I had students that really, their ADHD was, gave them about 10 to 20 seconds of like focus. And then they're looking all over the room and they're finding other things to play with and that, that are holding their attention. And so audiobooks were huge and uh, parents were like kind of contacting me saying like, I don't know that this is all right. Like, is this cool that my kid is listening to an audiobook? And because some audiobooks are, you can just find stuff on YouTube. And so what I would allow kids to do is like pull up the audio file that someone put on YouTube. You just plug in your headphones, you're not allowed to watch the video and you have to follow along at least while we're in class. Like while we're doing independent reading in class, you have to follow along. And I found that that helped kids immensely to focus mm -hmm. in on what was happening. Also, I think breaking it up into little pieces. So one of the things I started doing last year with my more reluctant reading classes was to have 10 minutes in the beginning of class and your independent reading. That's it, 10 minutes. And they were, it gave them like bite-sized amounts of success. So if they couldn't make it the whole 30 minutes or 25 minutes like we had on Wednesdays, at least they were successful in that and they were still moving forward. Even if it was a page or two, they didn't start off every week on the same page. And if we were doing that every day, that was maybe five pages that they got through that week. And mm -hmm. if they had shorter books, that meant they were moving through more material during the year. And I think whenever you can create something that gives kids those little tiny like uh, bits of success, then you're really setting them up for a larger success. Cause they're seeing like, I can do this. I am getting through this. Or, you know, a lot of times it's about getting started in a book and then then you're excited, right? So something finally mm -hmm. happens, you're getting through that whole exposition. And then you're like, Oh, wait, this is, I'm actually pumped, like, what's going to happen next. And there's a lot of books that, you know, I know, when I'm given stuff to read for professional development over the summer, I'm like, dude, I don't want to read this, <laughs> you know, and then you finally like get through a little bit of it. And you're like, All right, I can connect with this. So I can keep I can keep going. Um, yeah, I also want to note, uh, to kind of go back, like I mentioned graphic novels and audiobooks, and you mentioned like going on YouTube. Um, a lot of libraries have a digital content app. Uh, so if you have a library card, you can have access to something like Overdrive or something like Hoopla, where kids can check out those graphic novels and audiobooks and they're free. And it's kind of like they would just stream it directly from those apps. So this is like another way to give more access, make sure kids are aware that things like that exist. Yeah. And even um, for younger students, uh, it's was talk to text. So it's text to speech, which is, it's essentially like um, an app or, and so kids with reading disabilities like dyslexia can read along and the book is reading kind of, it's, it's highlighting the words as they're reading sort of like you would do like a sing along or like karaoke. It's like karaoke book style. So karaoke reading disabilities are getting that practice of like, reading for extended periods of time, they're hearing it through headphones and they get to be able to focus on it and really have some success there as well. And I think that kind of stuff is like, I, I really feel like I see a lot of stuff that's, we're kind of moving in that direction for yeah. students. 
suffer like that. And that's, you know, not, not to, to last kind of point on this is I think when one of the things I noticed working in Philly is you'll get kids in the ninth grade who's, who have not gotten services, right? Who have, should have gotten an IEP when they were in kindergarten or first grade and they don't get them. And then they show up at ninth grade and they're on a second grade reading level. And it's like, you know, it's not like schools in the city have tons of money to throw in that direction, but resources like that, that just exist online that you don't necessarily need another special ed teacher or a reading specialist for are really, really helpful because they're, they're kind of filling that void in a sense. And, you know, not, not, yeah. they're not doing as good of a job, but it's, it's something instead of nothing. Uh, Kendra Moxon asked, do you read to your kids? I really want to make this a big part of my teaching because most of the kids in higher grades don't get read to anymore. Um, do you read to your kids in class? Sometimes, uh, if we're going to do like a, like a close passage analysis or something that day, you know, we'll read aloud that passage. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I teach 10th grade and 12th grade and I don't do it too much anymore. Uh, and there's also like a pretty big difference in average reading levels, I would say from working at a private school in Silicon Valley to, uh, working in West Philly. Um, and that's sad, but it's kind of the case oftentimes, not to say you don't yeah. have advanced students in West Philly, but on average, right. And, uh, and so I feel like I did that more when I was in Philly than I do here. What about even when you taught middle school in Camden, did you read to your students then? Oh, when, I did, when I was in middle school, I taught, I read a lot to my students. Um, okay. We usually had a book that we were kind of reading out loud together a little bit each day. Uh, so then by the end of the year, we had read like three or four books aloud together. And it wasn't like we were doing too much with it outside of that. It was kind of like, you know, you mentioned like the independent reading thing, just like 10 minutes or something like that. It was just something that we did a little bit every day. Yeah. And um, that's even reminding me of, uh, so one of the things I've started doing is, so last year we read, or two years ago, we started changing of mice. So we read of mice and men every year. And then last year I got the play version of that. And what that allowed me to do was read it as a whole group in class. So you have like, anywhere from two to five readers at a time. So more people are engaged. It becomes more fun. I walk around the room and sort of direct it and just whisper to kids like this part that you're coming up on, you have to be like really pissed or you have to be really happy or really angry. And that really, <laughs> that helped to be able to like get the kids excited. And then I always take a part, right? And this is always to like the chagrin of the students because they want to read, but I find that if I start off, and even if we're just reading from a regular novel in class, if I start off, I can kind of set the tone and read it in an excited way or get really pumped up about something instead of someone else starting off reading like this <laughs> that day. And it's like, dude, now, because however that first kid reads, I, I really feel a lot of times is how everyone else is going to follow suit. And so if mm -hmm. someone's reading well and they're and they're into it then everyone else is paying attention but once you lose that attention then it's just it's lost a lot of time so mm -hmm. i try and go in like full force sometimes i'll play music behind that too like if we're reading a play i'll put i'll like have stuff pulled up on youtube ahead of time so it's like sad music or action packed music and that stuff just you know just amps up your class yeah i forgot actually like you mentioned that and i forgot we actually we read shakespeare every year and we do do it with that and we'll do it with another play we read this past year as well. Uh, 
that plays obviously lend themselves to that a lot better than yeah. prose novels sometimes. Someone just said, uh, Miss Kindergarten just said, uh, if Shakespeare wasn't read aloud in high school, I would have been so lost and not found. LOL. Uh, so I don't know why I just read LOL, <laughs> but um, I could have just read that. Lol, you're supposed to say lol. Yeah. I remember taking Shakespeare in college and we had to read it on our own. It just sucked. It was like, this is so lame because the way that it's chunked. And I, so I try to, even when we read Shakespeare in class, I try to read as much in class as I can and not like send the kids home with reading homework for it because it's, it's like reading the script to a movie. That just, mm -hmm. you know, the Avengers would be so much less of a movie if I had to read the script and not like watch it. Um, Tom Flynn TV said, Educational videos. What's your favorite business book, philosophical book, or motivational book? Um, that could be you personally, or like, what do you hand out to students? Yeah, uh, as a teacher, we read um, The Courage to Teach a couple years ago for that summer reading PD. That was and, your pick, too, wasn't it? <laughs> I forgot whose pick it was. Uh, but I, I really like that one. It kind of really spoke to, like, I feel like what is the, the heart of teaching. Um, at the same time, I feel like it's a really good book to read once you've taught for a few years and not necessarily, like, once you're somebody who's starting off. Um, on that, I don't know. I don't read a whole lot of, uh, like, that kind of book, I guess. Is there anything that you ever, like, pass on to a student that they felt they would benefit from or...? I do like to, uh, I guess it's in book form now. Uh, Neil Gaiman gave a commencement speech uh, called Make Good Art at the University yeah, like of Arts. speeches of all time. Yeah, and so they put it in book form. So sometimes uh, you, know, you can find a text usually in places or you can find the video on YouTube pretty easily. Yeah. Um, so that's one that's not terribly long either. That's a good motivational thing, I think. Yeah, there's uh, so this, I just got this sent in the mail today. Someone sent this to me as a gift. Uh, and it's called Steal Like an Artist, where is that? By Austin Kleon, and so it's super quick, and like with pictures and everything. And it's, what he does is kind of talk about how this, the life of a creative and what it's like to be creative. And so there are a lot of kids that, if they come up to me and they create music or art or, or anything else, I pass that book on. I usually end up buying like a couple of them and then just giving them out so that I don't have to ask for them mm -hmm. back because it's sort of, it's one of those books that you'll read a page or two and you're like, that's a really great idea. Like one of the ideas in there is, let's say your band is stuck and they can't think of like the next song that they want to write or like what direction they want the band to go in. He says, one of his ideas is think of who's your favorite band and what do you wish their next album sounded like? and then create that album. And then through that creative process, it gives you just like that jump to go into something new. And I just thought that was really a fun idea that I wish I knew when I was younger, but yeah, you know, old Reynolds doesn't get to rocking the drums as much as <laughs> uh, Miss Jones, second grade or Miss Jones room, second grade, who's been on here several times. Also, Hey, Miss Jones said, I have a lot of books. Do you think it's better to rotate books throughout the year so that, the kids aren't overwhelmed, but enough that you have a good selection across several genres. That's a really good question, especially as my library and my classroom has gotten bigger. Do you find that books get lost because you have too much stuff in your room? Uh, I, I mean, it's something I like doing is having like a little display area where certain books are highlighted. 
and having that kind of rotated through. So that could be like themed according to what month it is. Uh, it could be just like new books that I've purchased and brought into the classroom. Uh, but there's some kind of dedicated space where this is rotating regularly and what's on display uh, is kind of not the same all year round because it'll, once something's new, it captures that interest. And then, you know, the kids like after a week or two stop looking at it. And so I would, you know, it sounds like a lot of work to me thinking about like rotating your entire library selection, but I think like having that little display section is something that's more manageable and still effective. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. I mean, I think your room was maybe the first room that I saw uh, in Philly where you had like the, they're like these cheap little metal stands that you can put books on. And so like once a season or once a trimester, like changing those up so that people can see the stuff that's coming in. Or whenever I get new books in, I like to just kind of leave them out on a windowsill or something. And, and mm -hmm. I keep telling the kids like, oh, the new books came. And that's also been something just because on YouTube, like my kids are always watching unboxing videos, right? Which is essentially you're watching <laughs> other people open their crap that they bought. And it's so it's funny that it's like this thing, like unboxing Christmas morning is now an unboxing event. So, I, but I, I do that in class. Like when I get the, the, when the boxes come to my room, I'm pumped and I wait till the kids come in and then I cut the box open and I take all the books out individually, tell them what it is, tell them why I ordered that book. And I find that that generates a lot of interest in this kind of thing as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I'm going to mess this name. Man, I'm like, here we go. Anyone that watches, people got, that watch this every week got to be like, get it together. Why uh, Mieto, I'm going to say it's, is how I'm pronouncing it. It says, how do you use your inclusion teacher? I don't know that you have an inclusion teacher um, at your school, but. Yeah, I'm not in my classroom. What's that? Uh, I mean, we have special ed support in the school, but they don't push into the classrooms. Okay. So if I'm thinking about even reading, um, I have sometimes what, I, what I'll do is me and the inclusion teachers, I'm always reading when the students are e reading independently. I always have a book with me. I tell them what book I'm reading every week. I tell them why I'm reading that book, what, if I like it or dislike it, what it's about and to try and build interest in the show that I'm an active reader as well. And so I'm tr I, that actually makes me move through books much quicker because if I showed the same book twice, they're like, Reynolds, come on, you're still reading the same book. And I'm like, you're reading the same book for like six months, man. Don't get on me. <laughs> two weeks, like it took eight days to read this. But I'll always sit behind kids that are having a hard time paying attention to and my inclusion teacher will do the same. So I feel like that proximity sometimes just like if a kid's acting up in class and you stand next to them, they generally stop. If I sit near someone, it generally helps them to focus more because they know that like I'm right there on top of them. And that I feel like helps as well. What was that? This was here. Um, Abigail Bond asked, said, hey guys, I'm currently going to school to become a history teacher. How do you figure out which grade level works for you and teaching style and your personality? Uh, I get this question a lot. And I think it's, it's interesting because I haven't thought about it in a long time, but how did you pick your grade lot level, your teaching style and your personality? And I think this Abigail is, it's just particularly interesting to me because outside of the classroom, uh, Randy and I have very similar personalities in a lot of ways, but inside the classroom, it's completely, we like draw from different strengths. So <laughs> how, how did you go about picking the sort of things that you wanted to do there? 
Well, my first job when I was in middle school, uh, I just kind of landed there. That's what I was qualified to teach. Um, I didn't have a whole lot of experience with like little kids, like working with little kids or like being around little kids. So I didn't really feel that at all, that desire. Um, you know, if like a little kid cries, I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do with you now. Just, I'm just going to walk away and maybe it'll stop eventually. Uh, and so I knew I didn't want to work in elementary school. Wanson style of, uh, of teaching? Yeah, as everything should be. Okay, all right. Um, and then middle school, I enjoyed that. Like, the kids are still a little bit younger, so they get, like, really excited about things. But they're also, you know, you're not, they're not crying too often in class and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, but for me, I was ultimately, like, wanting to make the move up to high school because uh, I was more interested in teaching the kind of books that you would study in high school as opposed to middle school. Not to say there aren't good middle, middle grade books out there, there are a lot, but my own interests kind of geared more towards, uh, you know, the kind of fiction that you can do with a senior that you can't do with an eighth grader. Yeah, yeah. What about- You can also you be a lot more sarcastic in high school. Yeah, oh, so that <laughs> works. I just had a conversation with someone today and said, you know, that that's a lot of my classroom management is through sarcasm and through humor. And I feel like younger kids wouldn't pick up on it. But how did you figure out what your teaching style was? Like, did that come naturally to you? Or did you have to, is that something you had to work on and figure out like what kind of individual you were gonna be? Uh, that's something that's, I think, kind of evolved over time. Uh, as my understanding of teaching and learning has progressed, as kind of where I work has changed. Um, you, I don't know, if you saw me teach here, you probably would be a little astounded as to how different it is. <laughs> In what way? Uh, it's just a, there's a lot more, my students here, a lot more anxiety, uh, or at least not, I don't know if there's more anxiety, it's a different type of anxiety, it's more like academic related. And so kids are, uh, you know, if I give an assignment, probably all of the kids are going to turn it in on time or almost all of the kids, which was not the case previously. Um, and so they're doing the work and they're a lot more likely to submit the work, um, but they're, they also get really stressed out about their level of schoolwork and what they're doing outside of class and all of that. Um, and so not to say that, you know, the kids in my previous schools didn't have stress. I think that stress just took a different form. And so I feel like here I've kind of relaxed a little bit more because, uh, because I feel like what my students need here is a little bit different in terms of just less anxiety on the schoolwork end. Not saying that anybody needs a lot of anxiety on the schoolwork end, but because uh, that's in place, like in terms of like the, just completing the work at the basic level, uh, really turning it in, uh, I'm not at, like I accept late work now. That might blow your mind. <laughs> really interesting. And that's part of just that, just kind of accepting that, like, uh, I don't need to be another source of stress in their lives. You know, yeah. but that's not the most important thing. It's, you know, so that's interesting um, because I think, I mean, that kind of plays into to part of my teaching style, which is like, so I, I picked ninth grade uh, to answer that question. I picked, oh, I picked high school because one, I liked the literature better as well, and I thought it lended itself better, or lent itself better to like uh, to the kind of conversations that I wanted to have with students. Mm -hmm. I knew 
pretty early on that I wanted to be, um, I, I'm really relational with my students and I, and I like having those conversations and I like helping kids and the sort of books that I wanted to read or the sort of books that impacted me the most, I feel like lent themselves to like these really great conversations with students and they, and it has been largely. So then teaching style, I just, I had some folks that I like kind of either read their books, like someone like a, like a Rafe Esquith who teaches fifth grade or, mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think of who else, I'm not going to think of anyone at the moment, but they, they just sort of like emulated the kind of teaching that I wanted to do. And so that helped me figure out like, uh, the kind of teacher I wanted to be in the classroom, like I knew I really loved, and I had to just pull from my strengths. Right. So like I knew that humor was a part of who I am. I can't turn it off. It's, I, it's almost impossible to like not make jokes about just about everything and be sarcastic about just about everything because it's fun. And once I found that the kids like responded to that really well, then I just ran with it. And now it's like on 10 all the time, which is where you get like hands on a stick and shooting people with water pistols. And today I taught the kids how to put tape in each other's hair without anyone figuring out like who did it. And that was like, that was my closing activity at the end of the day. And it was, it was really great. So, um, they, I just knew that was the kind of teacher I wanted to be. And so that just kind of, I think comes naturally. Like you figure it out as long as you're not afraid to try and be that kind of teacher, because I think too many teachers start out teaching and they try and play it safe, right? Especially if you're at some kind of competitive school and you have something like tenured. Um, and if, you know, they'll say, well, I just got to wait three years. I'm just going to like play the game. And then once I get tenured, then I'll be like the kind of teacher I always wanted to be. And I just think that that's, that's, the wrong way to go about it because you can become um, that teacher from the jump and you're really not going to get as much pushback as you think because if it's what you're doing is all about the kids then who's going to argue with you like hey stop being awesome teaching really well like uh so yeah um wait, what's that question? these questions shoot by so fast uh someone is asking how did you recognize How do you recognize a good YA book that the kids will like? How, how do you pick books for your class? Like what, what, how do things get on your radar and how do you like push things, certain other books away? Yeah. Uh, so I think there's a few different ways that you can kind of put your finger on the pulse of kind of what's happening, because I think right now we're in kind of a golden age of YA literature. Uh, people are taking it more seriously than ever. More people are writing it than ever. Uh, and so I think the result is you're getting a lot of really good books uh, kind of geared towards teenagers. Um, back when we were kids, you know, I went from reading Goosebumps to Stephen King because it wasn't really too much in the middle there. Uh, and so I think one is like you can look at look at bestseller lists. Uh, New York Times breaks it down pretty well by category like hardcover, paperback, digital. Uh, they do it by young adults. They do it by middle grade. They do it by picture books. They do it by e-books. And so that's a good starting place to see kind of what's out there, what's popular, uh, because a lot of times kids like things just because they're popular, and that's sometimes okay. Uh, beyond that, uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter and Instagram, and a lot of people there, if you connect with authors, if you connect with book people, there's you know huge communities on both of those sites. Uh, yeah. They will talk about what's new, what's coming out, what they're liking. You know, if you find somebody who has similar taste to you, then 
you know, they'll be feeding you recommendations all the time through their feed. Yeah. Um, beyond that, there's also publications that you can pay attention to, like School Library Journal or Kirkus or uh, or the Foreign Book. Any of those that put out, uh, you know, monthly publications or whatever, and they'll kind of have like a very short summary of what's coming out and kind of see what captures your interest, what kids might like. Um, I pay attention to hashtags like uh, We Need Diverse Books, which usually is just hashtagged as WNDB, uh, which are talking about more marginalized voices, uh, books that are coming out or that are out now. Uh, hashtag Owned Voices is kind of a related thing that highlights uh, books written by people who are part of the communities about which they're writing. Uh, so those hashtags, if you search those on anything, a lot of times stuff will turn up. Uh, yeah, so there's a lot of ways to kind of go and look out what's out there. Like I said, this is a great time for young adult literature. And if, you know, I, just, I think anyone, not just teachers of English, because there's also a lot of good nonfiction coming out now, historical fiction, science books, all that kind of stuff. You're seeing more uh, nonfiction geared towards teens now, as, you know, for a while, it was just kind of, again, that gap of like, you got middle grade books for nonfiction and then went to adult. And you're yeah. seeing that gap start to get filled. I think you're just paying attention to what's new, what's coming out, because uh, a lot of times I think we kind of get stuck in what's classic or what was listed as great when we were in kids, when we were kids, when we were in school. Uh, and there's just so much great stuff coming out now. That I think just paying attention to that. Yeah, I think also paying attention to like what your students are interested in. Too. Mm -hmm. So, if, so teaching at uh, an all boys school, like there's sports is like everything for so many kids and so making sure i have a lot of books that kind of lend themselves to that and like even with the kid that wanted animal books it really took me talking to him and finding out what he was interested in what maybe he wanted to be when he was older what kind of tv shows do you watch what kind of movies do you watch mm -hmm. uh if we're gonna write a book what would it be about like all of those sort of things like just inform you about the types of students that you have and then you can do a better job of of picking books I also think I'm a, I go off Amazon reviews like crazy. So if your Amazon, if your book has like, I don't know, what's that, five stars, I think, right? So if you have less than four, I don't even look at your book. If it's four and a half, I might look at it for like a second, but I have to read. Oh, under that's scary. That scares me. <laughs> well, I, you know. There are good books out there that don't get so great ratings on those sites. Yeah. yeah and so I think you do have to have a radar for some of that other stuff, but. If you are just getting started and you're trying to like cut through some of the stuff, I, I'll pick certain books and I look at all the suggested topics and I realize there's probably some kind of algorithm that's picking that and not necessarily customers, but yeah. I think it's, it makes it a little bit easier to do that. Or ask a friend, like if someone knows about like good, like so at our school, did Jen, did Jen List contact you this year for our summer reading program again? Good. I sent her a bunch of recommendations. So at my school, we all know that Randy has his finger on the pulse of America and their YA reading habits. And so when we had to pick independent reading books this year uh, for for the summer, the kids, we called Randy and just found out from him and what we should pick. And then that informed our decision in a big way. So, yeah. Uh, so people are asking, too, because we're talking about this, what are your... So you said you're active on Twitter and on Instagram. Where can people find you on social media? Yeah, uh, on pretty much across all platforms. I'm just at Randy Rebuy. So 
So R-A-N-D-Y-R-I-B-A-Y. Uh, as far as I know, I'm the only person named that in the entire world. And so you can find me pretty, very, quite easily. <laughs> yes. With a quick Google search. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll link that in, in on YouTube in the description below so people can just find it. Because, you know, you'll, you're going to spell it wrong, just like I do all the time. Um, yeah, you do. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So people can find that link, Jenna, saying that uh, my not so secret wife that uh, they can connect through my Instagram as well because I linked you on the last post on Instagram. So if anyone's on there, um, Mr. Riedel is asking question for Randy. Can you tell us more about Pander, uh, the panda stuffed animal in your guest room who has an active, an overactive mind? I, I'm assuming you know. What, yeah. What is, so how do they know? What is this? Oh, it's it's on my website. Um, okay. You know, I actually need to update that because when we moved to California, we got rid of a vast majority of our belongings. And unfortunately, we had to leave Pandor behind. Um, I offered him to, to Mr. Reynolds here, and he said, nay, he did not want this gigantic stuffed panda. Uh, okay. But we did find a good home for him with a friend who had a little kid whose favorite animals are pandas. Uh, and so he is... He is doing well and he is loved, uh, but unfortunately, no longer in my household. That's uh, that's sad. Have you got anything to take its place at your new home? No, because you're pretty much seeing my entire home right now through this okay. uh, feed. Yeah, it's all behind me. There's a little bit more, but that's not much more than that. It's like a shed. You're living in a shed now? Uh, pretty much like a tiny house of kind, of sorts. Okay, that's very hip of you. I mean, they're, they're in right now. So it's like everyone that grew up with a tiny house is like, man, my house is so cool and hip right now. Because those are in. Yeah, uh, in TIC Life asked, what type of changes do you make each year to keep it fresh? Uh, that's a really good question. That's I have not gotten that question before. Because you can fall into a pattern, especially I feel like after year three, things start like working in your favor and you don't have to like redo your syllabus every year and stuff. But I know you redo a lot each year. I feel like how, what's, yeah. I'm not doing myself any favors probably. Uh, but I'm the kind of person who's constantly changing things and constantly tweaking things. Um, as I go through the school year, I usually have some kind of document where I'm just like listing ideas for the next year. Uh, so if I teach a lesson, I kind of think of some other idea. I can be like, oh, maybe I should try this next year. Or even like independent reading, like we've talked about, is something that I think is, in the last few years, largely remained the same. But it's like changed uh, from year to year a little bit how I do it, and like the projects I ask the students to do with it. Uh, you know, I talked to you about how I was doing this new discussion method this year, kind of refining that. And I was kind of giving that a try this year. And then as I was going through the year i was like taking notes on ideas for different ways to do it next year um so uh, yeah i'm probably creating a lot more work for myself but uh i don't think i've ever done too much the same from year to year even even first day lesson i don't think i've ever taught the same first day lesson and i'm just like never satisfied with what i end up with <laughs> yeah that's really fun i mean you, you're always like the type of teacher that would make me feel bad anyway because i'm like yeah i didn't you know, you're like, oh, I did this new PowerPoint and I have all this new stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty much going to just keep rocking this. <laughs> the last it's just my, like, I get really bored with the same thing over and over again. 
And so I think part of it's driven by just my desire for, to just do something different as well. Yeah. You know, I find though, that, and so I think some of this, it depends on like how you kind of work uh, mentally and where your creativity comes from. Because a lot of times I'll do, I'll have the same lesson. So I've been teaching the Odyssey for, this will be my 12th year that I've taught the Odyssey. I've largely taught it the same way every year, but on, you know, so sometimes that morning I'll hear a song or I'll watch a video on YouTube or something will um, just give me an idea, like a spark for something. And then I'll go in the school and I can still teach that same lesson, but like take it in a different way or like talk about it a little bit different or, you know, one of the greatest things um, that was from working with you was like, we would drive in together every day and talk about like, so what are you doing today? Or like, you know, I came up with this lesson or I'm not sure if it's going to work. And on the way home talking about that stuff too, like, yeah, this totally failed today. I'm not sure what to do about it. Mm -hmm. And those conversations every day were so valuable just because you're, you're just, you're constantly talking about what you're doing. And so, I would sometimes get to school after a conversation and go, you know what, I'm scrapping this whole thing or I'm going to totally change the way that I was going to go about this because someone else was doing it differently or because I had this idea on the way to school. And I think that's, um, that's huge. And I know that I, I feel like we were the envy of a lot of people in the school because they were like, man, you guys get to just like talk about this every day or. Yeah, uh, good. you listen to a lot of Oasis. It, oh, there was a lot of Oasis on. Fall. I heard that song come on the other day, and I thought of you. It's still on. There's still a lot of Oasis and a lot of Everclear, and it makes me. Yeah. I almost want to send you a message every single time. <laughs> uh, You're gonna tell me I'm your Wonderwall? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Stop laughing. This is very serious. Fail. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I see. Also said on the high school level. Outside of audiobooks, how do you grow learners who are low-level readers, like elementary-level kids? What is, uh, and is that common in your classroom? It's too common in my classroom, and I have a couple of ideas for that. But like, what? Maybe you could talk about uh, that really low-level group that you had that year when you only had like four kids in that class mm -hmm. um, in Philly. Like, what worked in that class for you? Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know, what works is like a really difficult question. Uh, I did my master's in language and literacy, and I was looking at a lot of research about adolescent developments uh, in reading. And it's it's like a really hard, it's a really hard thing to get caught up when you're that, you know, far behind, I guess, at that point. Um, you know, the, the fun research term for this is kind of the Matthew effects of reading. Uh, but I, I think at that point, it was my concern was more so less with like, and this is maybe a bad teacher thing, like less concerned with like Lexile levels and stuff like that. More concerned with just trying to get them to find like a book or a type of book that they really love to kind of latch onto that, the kind of hope that maybe they would go off in the future and like continue reading and that gap would close. Cause I've certainly met adults that, uh, you know, were like, I was a struggling reader when I was a kid and then something turned me onto it. Kind of like the story you were telling earlier and that kind of like changed everything for them later on. Um, so I think one of the unfortunate things is a lot of times with the low level readers, we almost like make reading even less fun for them uh, with a lot of the programs that are out there. And I think like you kind of need to be, in my opinion, trying to do just the exact opposite, finding ways to make it more interesting and make it more fun. Uh, 
with the group that you're referring to uh, last year, you know, we were reading, I think a little bit, we had kind of a little bit more leeway to read more interesting books, uh, more non-canonical texts uh, that I think was a little more fun, like Runaways, graphic novel, uh, for example, as well as some other ones. And I think, again, yeah, I'm just trying to just trying to find books that they enjoy and that will turn them onto it in a way. Because most of the time when kids tell me like, I hate reading, what I hear is like, I hate reading the books that we usually have to read in high school. Uh, not so much reading. So for me, it's always kind of like finding what's going to uh, what's going to transform that kid's opinion towards reading. Yeah, I think that's really important, which is why I still have like a ton of graphic novels in my class. Because if I really think about it, I didn't I didn't read books growing up, but I did read a lot of comic books. And somewhere around fifth or sixth grade, I got into Batman, and then that like got me into that whole world where I was just like hanging out with comic book kids and you're constantly getting excited and you're like going to the comic book store. Like I, I forget if it was Fridays that like all the new shipment would come in, but like all the nerds would be there. We'd all be pumped up about like, you know, if the new Batman was coming in or the new Punisher and being excited about that. And, and really it's like you said, for me, it's not so much what kids are reading. Like I really could care less on, on a very in a very big way, what you're reading, so long as you are reading. I want you to be excited about something because then that can later lend itself. Like maybe that takes you down a rabbit hole and you start liking other stuff. So even a few years ago, or I don't know when Harry Potter came out, but that's the first book that kind of comes to mind is like when Harry Potter came out and kids went from being non-readers to like tearing through these books and then a whole genre was kind of exposed and kids started like gravitating towards all different types of stuff that was sort of in that world. And even when Twilight was really big and I was teaching, um, I never, I don't know that I had boys ever willingly read Twilight, but like I would have girls that would read it over and over and over again. I thought, I don't like, I think that book is not something I would ever be, you know, willing to read, but I, that's not true. I did read the first one just because all the kids were reading it. But, um, you know, that, was getting kids to read. And, and I, I just think there's, again, to, to restate this, the idea of like you being excited about reading, you talking about books, you getting excited about a new book coming out or talking about a part or like, uh, there have been times when I've started a new novel that I'm just reading for myself and I'll go into class and I'm like, yo, before we do anything, I got to read this part from this book that I read because it's, it made me laugh so hard or it got me to think of something in a different way. And it's kind of like you're exposing some of that mystery to the kids that like they wouldn't normally, wouldn't normally get. Um, and as a quick side note, uh, I'm talking about like leading into books, like Marvel and DC is starting to put out a ton of YA books right now. Uh, you know, obviously those are huge movies right now. There's a Spider-Man book coming out soon by Jason Reynolds uh, based on Miles Morales. Uh, there was a Batman book coming out, written by Marie Lu, who wrote the Legend series. Uh, you know, there's a Wonder Woman by Lee Bardugo that's out. So, you know, especially with kids who are like into those comics or into the, the movie series, uh, that can be a good lead-in to reading as well. Yeah, because once, and so even students I had last year, which I feel like I never get students that are really that into Star Wars, but last year I had quite a few. And so I was ordering all these other like Star Wars books from the extended universe that kids were stoked mm-hmm. about. And 
we get all like, you know, nerdy and excited about. They're like, oh, can I, can I please keep the the paper cover on the book, Mr. Reynolds? And I'm like, yes, you may, because I know you will cherish this and carry it in a separate book bag away from your other book, so that it doesn't get messed up. So yeah, yeah. Nice. Well, uh, we're at an hour, man. We'll call it there. Yeah, sure. Pretty easy hour. Um, what? Uh, real quick, before people go, can you just tell people? Oh, I do it. We do. We have one last question that yeah. can I just remove from here. Um, Mr. Riedel said I came late, but Randy, did you tell anything about him being an author? Does he have any suggestions for teachers or students who want to publish a book? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, what would you say to kids or, or you know, teachers that want to? be writers what would you suggest to them uh, yeah i guess i would i would approach those a little bit differently um you know for teachers you know i know a lot of writers who are also teachers like myself um and i think a key thing is kind of like finding a time that you can write uh for me i'm writing in the morning before i go to school uh almost every single day uh for some people they're writing at night after their kids go to bed uh, some people are writing on the weekends, but it's kind of finding that time where you can actually write with some regularity, whether that's every day or, you know, a certain time. Uh, not to say you have to write every day, but finding something that works for you that gets you to actually write. Because, all right, that's the big thing. You gotta, if you want to get better at something, you have to do it a lot. Uh, with kids, I try to emphasize that same thing. Um, with kids, I think, you know, they're... There are a lot of ways to get into it. Um, as a teacher who's also a writer, um, I encourage teachers to try to create spaces where kids can write uh, something beyond just the literary analysis essay or whatever. Uh, you know, a lot of times my students are really hungry for the ability to be more creative with writing. And so finding ways they can do that in class. Um, next year, I'm starting an elective that's like short story writing, and I'll also be teaching an elective on novel writing. Uh, for students, and so kind of creating those spaces. Um, as an easier thing, I would just suggest like following authors that you like on Twitter. Uh, you know, authors are very active on Twitter generally or Instagram. Uh, a lot of them will drop good writing advice. A lot of them will talk about their process, so you can see it's not just like this magic sit down and write this you know masterpiece of a book. But you can see the struggle. You can see how long it's taking them and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so a lot of those resources are there. Uh, a lot of authors go and speak at bookstores and festivals and stuff like that. And I would encourage people to go out and try to uh, listen to some of those because usually you can ask questions, you can hear them talk a little bit more about the process. Um, but, you know, I'd say write a lot, read a lot, uh, familiar yourself, familiarize yourself with the process. Uh, yeah, that's maybe the best starting point. Um, are you working on anything new now? Uh, yeah, so I mentioned that I have the book out in uh, March called After the Shot Drops. Yeah. Um, so that one's pretty much pretty much done. Like They're going to make review copies in the next month or two, and those will go out to reviewers, and uh, some early readers will have that so they can start reviewing and hopefully building buzz for it. Um, but beyond that, I've got a couple of other projects that I'm working on. Uh, that uh, I'm going to keep them secret for now, but hopefully you'll see them in the future. 
uh, but not for a while. The average book takes about two years uh, from the moment the contract is signed to when it hits shelves. Yeah. And so it's, it's a long process. Yeah. That is. Uh, so the next book is the book about you and I on the road trip. Is that the... Yeah. And then you die pretty early. Uh, pretty early. So Yeah. I think it's going to be a great book. I think it's going to be a great book. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I can't wait. I just can't wait for it to happen. Um, so real quick, can you tell people one more time where they can find you and they can find your books or like your website or your MySpace page or whatever you got? Yeah. Uh, so my live journal account, I'm just kidding. Uh, my Zanga site is, <laughs> I wonder if that still exists. It might be still out there on the internet. I don't know. Uh, my website is randyrebuy.com, R-A-N-D-Y-R-I-B-A-Y. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Randy Rebuy, um, on Facebook as well, Randy Rebuy. It's all pretty much the same thing because, like I said, I'm not aware of anybody else in the world that has my same name, which is kind of nice because it's really easy to like claim that stuff, but it's also like really easy for people to find you. So if you do something bad on the internet, it's there for always. Yeah. Um, I so I hope that some Randy Rebuy will watch this and another one. <laughs> Um, and he will say something. So real quick before you leave, uh, there can be only one. Yeah. Well, then we just have to get rid of him. But, uh, Amir Williams is asking me to get your attention. <laughs> He's saying hello to you. Hi, so, Amir. Um, and that's that. I'm going to do my little wrap up real quick. So just stay still for a moment. Um, if anyone's watching this on the replay, you can go ahead and leave comments in the section below. I'll answer any question that you leave. If you leave something, uh, directed towards Randy. I'll make sure that he gets in. He can like get in contact with you or you can find out more information about what his thoughts are on that particular topic. And next week I have my internet friend Dustin coming on. Dustin has a YouTube channel called Discipling Recovery and he's a um, he is quadriplegic and he is a teacher down in Florida and I've talked to him a lot about like that how that kind of has had an effect on his teaching and now he just moved to North Carolina. He's looking for a new job, but we're going to have him on, on this week on Thursday to talk about some of that stuff too. So I'm really, really excited. He's uh, and for those of you that watch YouTube, he's friends with Casey Neistat. You may have seen him through some of his videos before as well. So that's it, man. Thanks a lot for being on, dude. I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for having me. Good times. You got it. And that's it for this week, gang. Look, if you ever want to have your question answered on Sunday Night Teacher Talk, all you have to do is show up at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on my YouTube channel, Real Rap with Reynolds, and I'd be happy to answer any question that you put out there. Nothing is off the table. Thanks so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great week. Peace.